Well, so glad you're here on this last part of this series, One Small Step, where we have been talking about evangelism being sharing what God is doing in your life today, right now in this moment. And we've had a great journey. I think we've taken quite a few small steps. I hope some of you are beginning to to realize that this is your call And uh, this is what it means to be a part of the church, a part of the kingdom of God, which is what we're going to talk about today. First thing we need to remember is kingdom is not a place like the United Kingdom. It includes a place, but it is really about a ruling and a reigning. It is an activity that God does in our hearts and where God sends us. So if you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me to the book of Romans? I had it all set in my iPad and ready to proclaim it to you, and it decided to do an update. So we'll just turn there. Romans chapter 10. And uh, we'll begin at verse 11. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. Hear the word of the Lord. As Scripture says, Anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. If if you're not familiar with Jew and Gentile, um, you can substitute those words with insider or outsider. That'll fit. Jews considered themselves the insiders, and Gentiles were outsiders. Um, Gentiles kind of returned the favor. We'll see here in just a second. And they thought they were. Uh, they wondered why those really Jews were so weird, and so um, they kind of do that. So Paul wants to say, "There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him." For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, through the power of Your Spirit, I pray today that that my feet would be beautiful and that I would bring good news. Good news from You. Good news from this letter that Paul wrote to a little church, a little group of churches a long time ago. Give it new meaning and significance for us this year in 2019. And bless us, we pray, and send us out as changed people, as disciples who are imitating you as we go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. For we ask all of this in the name of our King, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, well... We're talking about kings and good news and all these kinds of things, and it can kind of feel a little ancient sometimes. You know, there are a few kingdoms left. We already mentioned the United Kingdom. I saw a fist pump from Ian there, born and raised in the, in the United Kingdom. They have a queen. 
Um, there are a few other kingdoms. I think we have the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and a few things. But most of us see our countries just as that, right? Like a nation or a country. And, and there aren't many kings left in the world. But in the time of, of Paul, in the, in the time of Jesus, there were kings and there were emperors and things along those lines. So the Bible was written in those days and age. And so sometimes we come across these things. And Jesus was very quick to talk about the kingdom of God. In fact, it's one of his most used phrases. In fact, in my studies, I found out this week that in the gospel, according to Matthew, Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven because he was writing to Jews. And so he didn't want to say the word God. But what he meant was the kingdom of God. And uh, he used this so often, it's, it's, on, it's almost twice every page of the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so there's something there that we need to get into. And he talks about good news. And so you're seeing this picture, uh, kind of, of a Roman legion here. And um, when we talk about good news and kingdoms, there's something that Paul was borrowing from. And uh, I don't know if you can see this little guy right here. You see him here? Kind of dressed kind of funny. He has like a wolf over the top, which was one of the symbols of Rome. He is the euangelion. He is the messenger of good news. And it was his job as the Roman legions were advancing into new territory. It was his job to run ahead into the towns and villages of the, of the cities that were about to become, whether they liked it or not, Roman, part of the Roman Empire. It was his job, the Evangelion's job, to run ahead and to proclaim good news. Fellow citizens. The Roman legion is on his way, and Caesar has graciously said, you get to be a part of the Roman Empire. Prepare yourselves, for he is coming. Do you see, does this, does this make sense now why a lot, you know, when the Gospels were written in the Roman world, why the writers would call them Gospels? Why they would say, go and tell the good news. It was a cultural metaphor that people would get and understand. But the thing that was different was Jesus' message was entirely different. And so we would have this little euangelion, this little runner who would go ahead and announce that the king was coming. That the empire was extending. That the, the ruling and reigning, not just the territory, but the authority, the ruling. And Jesus and His followers borrow this metaphor. When Jesus stands as the, the little euangelion and says, The kingdom of God is near. It is at hand. It is present. It is available. You Jews, we've been waiting, thinking that God's kingdom was going to come sometime in the future. And I'm here to tell you, God's ruling and reigning is available today now here because i have come now i could preach a whole series of sermons on the kingdom of god and, and i so I, I won't do that today i promise okay we got to get you home before the snowpocalypse happens so i thought let's try and wrap this up just a little bit in so we can kind of get in and there's a there's a good video that has um helps, I think, encapsulate the kingdom of God when it pertains to Jesus. So let's let's look at this video here as we begin to see in this one small step that we have that evangelism really is about advancing God's kingdom or God's ruling in the world and understanding that God's ruling is different than the ruling of kings and leaders.
leaders of the world today. So let's, let's take a look at this video as we move forward. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, powerful, successful kingdom that needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had. That not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies.
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king. That he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Good summary, isn't it? Helps us understand this kingdom that Isaiah uses this phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news of the reigning of God still in Jerusalem before everything was restored. And we find this happening in Jesus finally. And now Paul decides to borrow this phrase, this thing from Isaiah and says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what is the good news of God's kingdom when it pertains to this little group of churches in Rome that we're reading the letter to today? So we need to look at just a few things here. I want to give you just a brief history lesson. We'll move on. And I want you to see how this kingdom of God, this ruling and reigning Christianity began to move and how rapidly it grew in the ancient times in those first few hundred years and maybe a little of why and what we are called to. I think we can do this really quickly before we move to the Lord's Supper. So you need to know about this, the church in Rome. Uh, they, it wasn't Paul that started these groups of churches. The, this message got out, these euangelions, these announcers of the good news of the kingdom of God found in Jesus, made its way to Rome way before Paul. And uh, and there were probably little house churches that just met together, Jews and Gentiles together, meeting together, worshiping, singing songs, hearing probably readings from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today, sharing communion and living life generally together. Then something happened. One of the leaders, one of the Caesars, uh, something happened and they got upset with Jewish people and they banned them all. All Jewish people were cast out of the city of Rome. And uh, those Jewish folks had kind of been the leaders of these little house churches. So it was kind of an early crisis in the church in Rome. All the leaders were cast out. But you know what happened? The little churches kept going. Those Gentiles just kept remembering what they were called to, and they kept uh, singing the songs they had learned. They kept serving communion together. They kept trying to be together. And then, eventually, years and years later, that Caesar died, and that edict that banned all the Jews from the city was lifted. And here come all the Jews back, and they, they merge into the little churches, and there's a crisis. Who's in charge now? And there's arguing, well, we were in charge before we left. Yeah, but we've been doing this for the last seven to ten years. We've kind of got our little thing going here, and now they're coming back in. I know this shocks you that there would be argument over leadership in a church. But they began to have these little bickerings, and Paul began to hear about it out in the world. And so he decides to write a letter back to these Jewish and Gentile Christians about what the kingdom of God is really all about. And so, in the early chapters of of this book, uh, Paul says, when the kingdom of God shows up, we all honestly know 
that we are all equal in sin. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. You know something's broken. You know that when you see the love that Jesus had for people, the compassion he had, when you see his kingdom and you match yourself up to that, you see that you fall short, which is the word hamartia, which means sin. So in Romans 3.23, if you want to turn there sometime, Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all fall short. (laughs) All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin, hamartia, and fall short, hamartia. It's the the same words, a play on words. We all have sinned. We all look at Jesus and his love and his example and and the way he was connected to God and to human beings. And we look at that and we look at ourselves and we say, I don't I don't love that way. I'm I'm broken. There are things in me that need to be changed. uh, For me, it was it was one of those things uh, trying to find a good example of of this for you. Uh, It can be easy for us to think that we are fast coming up soon will be the NFL Combine, okay? This is where all the athletes from college get together and they try and show off what they can do in front of all the scouts. And this is ahead of the draft. They're hoping to be drafted, right? Well, I saw this years ago, and I only watch the NFL Combine just for this because it makes me laugh every time. There's a guy named Rich Eisen. And before they start the 40-yard dash, he goes out. Now, granted, he has a suit on. He does put change his shoes and he lines up on the line, and they, they videotape him, or they, they get him on camera, running the 40-yard dash. And he finishes. And he's been, I mean, he's running full out. His tie is flowing over his shoulder, you know, as he, as he runs this thing. And, it, and they show his time, and you know he's got to feel good. Well, then, through the magic and wonder of television, they compare him simultaneously with those who are running against him who are going to be going for the draft can, can i just show you this here really quick i, I just think you're going to get a kick out of it so let, let, let's watch let's this see here. what you clock here's rich <laughs> all right there's a high of 15 three that is a high you hit a high of 15 15 nine <laughs> normally you're not supposed to accelerate at the end you're supposed to be decelerating but how about here that's you and tim tebow you knew tebow was going to show up you knew that look at this that's you against jacoby ford if you keep hanging in there you'll catch him that's, just, that's you with a three-yard head start against Close. Why are they coming to get my All right. And now we're going to give you five yards. Okay? Five yards with Jacoby Ford. Here he comes. <laughs> All right, now how about, how about no, Chance don't Cody? Do this to me, Mount yep. Cody? You and Mount Cody. <laughs> and look at the Mount. Oh, Running easy. Running easy. Come on, man. Okay? And now look, you get a little head start with Mount Cody. He's going to run. Rich, I like the way you came out of the blocks, but here he comes. <laughs> Oh. A dead heat. Oh my now look at this. Goodness. This is against our A2. All right. So look at we... <laughs> One of our colleagues. Look how easy he's running. Uh, running free. Good video, huh? You'll want to watch the NFL Combine just for that. It's hilarious. But if we could, we we get into our lives and we can have this this feeling like, well, I'm I'm good. I'm fast. I'm okay. We can, we can be like rich when it comes to living in the world. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. But then we see, if we could do this, we see Jesus' kingdom, Jesus bringing the kingdom onto the scene. And he flies by us like we're standing still. 
and we realize and we recognize, oh man, I've got a long way to go. We, we recognize and we realize, Lord Jesus, I need help if I'm to look like you in the world. We realize there's something we need to repent of and something that we need to say, Jesus, I need your strength and your power. Now, I want to say there's a temptation for some of us who have been around the church for a long time. And there's a temptation for some of us in the Wesleyan tradition who, where we talk about being perfected in love or entirely sanctified or those kinds of things where we think, yeah, now because of that, man, I can run like Jesus. I'm going to keep up with that guy. Only to see him race by us once again. And sometimes he brings a 300-pound lineman with him and they still fly by me. It's important that we understand that, yes, we are called to be entirely sanctified. We are called to be perfected in Jesus' love. But that never means that we stop growing. Dr. William Greathouse, a a teacher of mine, and he was talking at Los Angeles First Church in their 100-year anniversary, a panel discussion. They were talking about the doctrine of sin. And they said, John Wesley taught in his treatises and his preaching that even those of us who are perfect in love fall short of the expression of perfect love and are still in need of the blood of Jesus. Now that sounds strange to some of you. But the blood of Jesus shows us what God was willing to go through in order to forgive us. And so when we see that, we realize, wow, I haven't gotten to that point in love yet. That race is right by me. I'm in need of more. And so I hope you hear me today. If you've been around the church all of your life and you rest on things like entire sanctification, which is a wonderful gift. Don't get me wrong. Pursue it with all your heart. Christ will do it through the strength of his Holy Spirit. But we are always called to grow because the Lord Jesus Christ races in front of us and says, oh, come with me, come with me, come with me. What we have to realize, uh, Paul then will go on uh, in later chapters and he's announcing the kingdom. He says, but there's good news here as well, that we all have equal access to life in Jesus. There's a shift around chapter 6, verse 23. He's bringing Jew and Gentile together saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He uses Jewish and Gentile metaphors back and forth between Rome and, and Judaism to show how people fall short. And then he kind of sums it all up and he says the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. Not just living forever after we die, but eternal life right now. That we have the strength and power of His Holy Spirit to live the life that Jesus calls us to run every day of our life. In fact, he'll get to chapter 8 and he'll say, There is therefore now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. And that's good news, that everyone has equal access to what God has done in Jesus Christ. And he is now calling us to announce this good news. Now, sometimes we've gotten really stuck going out and announcing the bad news. And and just trying to make people feel bad so that we can tell them the good news. But Jesus says, go and tell the good news. And the Holy Spirit will be the one that will convict folks when they see Jesus run past them in you and say, wow, 
there's something different there. I need to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And they will come to understand that we are called to announce this good news. And they are called to announce. This is where we're going to tie all the series together. Ready? They're called to announce what Je- you are called to announce what Jesus is doing for you now. It's not that, you know, somebody wants to ask, how did you become a Christian? You can tell them the story of what Jesus did for you a long time ago. But tell them what Jesus is doing for you now. Tell them that there is a community of people that you love and who love you and who are committed to following Jesus, this way and pattern of Jesus' life, that they want to live in the eternal life that He can give through the power of His Spirit, and that anyone can be a disciple, even them. They can be a disciple who imitates Jesus, what we talked about last week, and who shares the kingdom good news. You see how this is so important. You were not called to sit on a pew. You were called to go and announce good news. You were called to use whatever gifts Jesus gave you to find a way to announce what Jesus is doing in the world. That His reign and rule is really, really what really matters. And so, how did this message spread so quickly? I mean, it just seems in a world not too unlike our own, where might makes right, where you, you get to the top by killing off your enemies. Maybe we don't do that uh, physically anymore, but we can do it through character assassination. We can do it with a lot of gossip. We can do all kinds of things to do that. How did this message spread so quickly? I want to let you know really quickly. First, I know this shocks you, social networking. No, they didn't have Facebook in early Rome. But what they did was they met together in small, intimate settings. And they really hunkered down on the idea of all. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord could be saved. And I love what, this, uh, what Rodney Stark says in The Rise of Christianity. They had a structure of direct and intimate person-to-person attachments. They met in small groups. This is why it's so important to be a part of a life group. This is why we have a goal over the next four years to launch 10 off-site small groups. Because the church has been doing this from the beginning. And it's important. And they, and it wasn't just, you know, like those of a feather stick together. It was rich and poor. Slave and free. Sometimes there were slaves and their masters that were in the same group. And when they were in that group, they were one. There were people of other languages, other ethnicities. They all met together, and Paul reminds them of this. That changes things in society because you go out, and now you're rich and poor, and you see your brother or sister in Christ out on the street, and it changes the way you operate. I know we don't think this way, but back in those days, if someone was out of your class, you didn't speak to them. But the church comes in and says, all have sinned and all have access to life in Christ. And that person is now your brother and sister. Can you imagine a ruler who is a Christian walking by someone in a lower class and saying, good morning, brother. That changes something. 
That changes something drastically. Let's move on. They also cared for the sick, the widow, the alien, the orphan. Nowadays, we have hospitals where we send the sick people. We have, we have uh, places uh, you know, that the CDC has if there was ever an epidemic that was to, to outbreak and those kinds of things. Back in those days, if a city, if a plague started or some kind of sickness was running rampant through the city, if you were wealthy enough, you went to your country home to get out of the city until it was all done. And you left those who were poor and those who couldn't get out of the city, you left them there to just let the plague run through and kill who needed to be killed. And then there would be a few uh, people that you would pay to go and burn all the dead bodies and get rid of the plague so you could move back in. Christians didn't do that, though. Christians, rich and poor alike, chose to stay in the city to minister to those who were sick, to bury those who were dying, to care for those who were in need. Do you think that made a difference in the city? Do you think people looked at Christians and said, that's a different kind of love. They're not afraid to die. They, they actually went and stayed in the city when the plague was there. And they, they cared for my kid that I left behind. That, that makes a difference, I think. They, they stood up for life. Here we're on uh, uh, Stand for Life Sunday. You see, in their day and age, there wasn't birth control. Men were allowed by Roman law to be promiscuous. And so with prostitutes or other women or whatever, there were a lot of babies that were born. And really, in that day and age, what they would do if a prostitute had a baby is just put that baby outside the city and just let the elements take their toll. And Christians said, no, this should not be. We stand for life. And so they would take the babies. They would find them. They would adopt them. They would raise them in their own homes. What would that do to a child to know that when I was left for dead, someone, because of what Jesus had done for them, took pity on me and raised me as their own child? Do you think that child would want to go and tell the good news of Jesus? Absolutely. But they stood for life, not just as a political position. They stood for life in all areas. They asked soldiers to move to positions. If you were a Christian and a follower, you can still be in the army, but do some things. Request to be demoted so you can do things that don't require killing someone. They wouldn't allow, they didn't want them going in and invading because they, they, those, those uh, foreign people could become brothers and sisters. They believed in life all the way around. It reminds me of this church. This is Greenville, South Carolina, First Church of the Nazarene. And they were captured by the idea that life is life is life. And so they said, we're not just going to stand against abortion. We will stand against abortion. But this is how we're going to do it. We are going to start adopting babies. We are going to start bringing young pregnant mothers into our homes. We are going to care for them in our homes with our money. While they're there, we're going to provide for them. We are going to get them to the hospitals. We're going to take care of their hospital bills. And then if they do not want to have the burden of a child, we are going to adopt those babies. That church began to grow. (laughs) A lot of babies were born. (laughs) But they knew we have to stand for life. And then they had influence on those young, young women who then became a part of that congregation. And they began to, you know what, you know what the major Christian university did to this church? Blacklisted them. Said your students can't, our students aren't going to go there. Because it was creating a lot of interracial families. Sad. But the early church stood for life. And finally, They had an absolute 100%
lock and stock theology of love. They said it is the sacrificial love of the other that is the absolute difference in what Jesus showed us about God. I love what John Perkins writes when he says, love is the final fight. He said, because the love that Christ showed was love even of the enemy. And when that enemy is still your enemy and seeking to harm you, the final fight is to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, to love even your enemy. Jesus just ran by me. And I'm standing here. Do you know this, folks? This is what the early church was called to. This is the kingdom of God. And in the first two centuries, I want to write that out, 200 years. Think about that. That's your grand, your, your life, your children's life, your children's children's life, your children's children's life. For that long, being a Christian was not based solely on what you believed. Oh, sure, you believed in Jesus. You believed that He was the Son of God. You believed those creeds. That eventually came around later on. But it was balanced out entirely with how you lived that kingdom experience and authority out in your community. It wasn't rules, but it did show a love that was entirely different from the culture around you. And that is what caused Christianity to explode onto the scene. To the point where eventually the Roman Empire itself was converted. Do you think that we could be a part of that? that that's why uh, Paul would then write in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to all of them now, Jews and Gentiles, you know you, we've all sinned, we've fallen short. You know that all of us who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that we all have access to life in Christ. Now, he says, here's your response. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just sitting in a pew singing some songs and praying a prayer and hoping pastor will get done before the roast burns or the snowpocalypse occurs. That we present all of who we are. That is worship. That we go, that we allow our feet to become beautiful feet. That we don't conform to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we're able to test and approve what's God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're able to see Jesus racing by us and know, ah, I want to run like that in the world. I want my feet to become beautiful feet that bring good news. That's why we did something like last week where we went and fed people. It wasn't just so that we could feel good about ourselves. It wasn't so that uh, solely based so that somebody who didn't have food could have food. It was because this is what Christians do when they announce the kingdom. They go and they love in a different way. This is why we're trying to go, go to Croatia to see what God is up to there among the refugees. We go because Christians have always gone and they have always loved and they have always always stood for life and they have always announced the good news of the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord and that life is available to anyone one of my teachers was asked by someone who wasn't a Christian what he liked about being a Christian and he said he thought about it for a second and then he said you know what I love living in the expectation of other people who somehow know that as a Christian I'm supposed to be a loving person. 
He said, that's something that in spite of all the wars and stuff we've been a part of and all the ways that we've got it wrong, somehow that message is still there. That when someone sees a Christian not being loving, they kind of scratch their head. How are we doing, church? How are we doing together? Do you know that this is what we are called to? We are not called to love power, but we are called to show the power of love and what God's love can do in the hearts and lives of anyone who will call Him. So what's our one small step? Will you let your feet be beautiful today? Will you bring good news in the form of loving your colleagues at work? Your classmates, students, where are my students? Love the one who's the nerd or the person who sits on the other side of the cafeteria from you because, uh, and you're just going to be friends with them. You're going to say hi. For some of you, maybe it'll start at dinner at at, at the restaurant because you and your family don't know how to show this kind of love. Are you going to let Christ do this in you? Will you live in the expectation of love? I think for all of us that means we know, we know that we need to come to the table. That we're all invited. So I want you to know if you're new here with us and this is your first time at church, it's okay. If you're hungry for the kingdom that I just talked about, that Jesus showed us perfectly. If you're hungry for that, I invite you to come. But I feel like we have to come to the table. For some of you, you need to take a moment because you realize Jesus has raced by you in his love and you're standing still. Come and receive bread and cup. Come and receive what you need to begin to let your feet be beautiful as you take those small steps to announce the good news. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this sacrifice that shows us Your radical love and the love of Your kingdom. I pray that whether we've been in church forever or just a short time, that we would know, yes, that we fall short and we are broken and and we have sin that You need to deal with but also to hear the good news that all of us have access to the life that You give. All of us can live in the life of no condemnation through the strength of Your Spirit. And all of us are called to allow our bodies to become living sacrifices. So come and show us Your love. Come and fill us in this small bread and cup. Help us to be reminded that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and cup and you blessed and broke it and you gave even to the one who would betray you, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. And may we somehow receive what we need to run the race, to have beautiful feet, and to announce good news. For we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have raced by our lives. How beautiful are your feet, announcing good news to us. That any of us who have fallen short in our sin 
can receive life in your name and it can be your disciple and imitate you in the strength of your power and go and announce the kingdom of love and the good news of the King who loves all and gives life to all. We receive this for our journey in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? We'll do this quick. Got to get kids. All right. And now, may you go and let your feet be beautiful as you proclaim the good news of the God who gives life to all through the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Go in His name. Announce the kingdom of His ruling and reigning love. Go in peace.